So welcome Richard, it's really great to see you again, I haven't seen you for a few weeks now. Uh, Richard, we've known each other for about six or seven years I think. Like so that. describe you know, why you made contact with each other, some of your background. Okay, so my name is Richard Lucas, I grew up in, a, in, in, in Britain, I was born in Oxford, studied in Cambridge um, and I moved to Poland, so to some extent I had a rather normal sort of middle class public school Oxbridge upbringing and as far as anyone can call that normal. I knew I wanted to go into business although I didn't know what I wanted to do and had a number of little micro ventures when I was at school and as a student. I moved to Poland in 1991, more for personal reasons. My now ex-wife is Polish um, and I hated my job with PA Consulting, PA Cambridge Economic Consultants and was looking for a change, so both to change my job and for personal reasons I, I moved to Poland and got a job teaching in a business school in Krakow, in Krakow is a major city in the south of Poland, the former capital in 1991. And I was 24. I had about 40 students, average age 40. So that was, and an, I was teaching through an interpreter, which made it quite a challenging, uh, challenging thing to do. But after I think three or four lessons or classes, one of my students approached me and said that he had a friend who wanted to meet me. And to begin with, as a you know well-intentioned teacher, I wanted to help, but it became very obvious very quickly to both of us that it was way more than a teacher needed to do including things like could I come to meetings and was this a good proposal of cooperation from an Austrian manufacturer of um, thermal transfer flat plastic card printers and I, I, having had a British economics liberal arts as the Americans say upbringing I didn't know very much about science or technology and I ended up going into business on the back of an envelope type deal where I was going to get 5% for being helpful. I put a little bit of money in. I think my brother put a little bit of money in. But by little, I mean under under £10,000. I think it was two or £3,000, which was a lot of money back then. And you stopped teaching then as well? Well, I'm, I'm at the... Business school, Krakowski Tologist for Przemysłowa, that means Krakow Industrial Society Business School, was getting was a free market think think tank, a bit like, I suppose, the Polish equivalent of the Institute of Economic Affairs or Heritage or something like that, but tiny in a sort of grotty, grotty little office, but everyone had a grotty little offices in Poland, that was quite, yeah, to the extent you had one at all. But they got a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation, which was, and they didn't have anyone responsible for fundraising, so they ran out of money very quickly and I, I think I got paid about, uh, I think it was $17,000, which was good. In the mid-90s. Yeah, early 90s. Early 90s. And I think that might have been a yearly salary pro rata, but they ran out of money quite quickly and so I, um, and the business was starting. But the the upshot of this was that around, and, and you know, it wasn't obvious to me then that this was the thing I was going to do, but I, I got a scholarship and went to went to South Korea in '92. And while I was there, I was still helping a bit with the business. It's much harder to do that then than now because of the internet. But I remember going to visit potential suppliers in in Taiwan, uh, for example, and Japan. And I realised when I was there that actually it would make sense to come back to Poland and get fully engaged. So that's what I did. One of the other founders pulled out so I 
I brought out his share. Again, this, again without a company agreement, not doing it the way that I would recommend to anyone <laughs> these days, but it's just what I did when I was a young man without anyone giving me advice. Um, note to listeners, it's a great idea to listen to people who've done already what you're planning to do. Even, and, and even if you choose to ignore the advice, it's good to know, it's good to know what it is. Um, but I, I ended up running a barcode systems company called Systemicode of Kreskovi, which turned into the largest barcode systems integrator in Poland. Um, and you had ownership, part ownership. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, it was 49% mine. It still is 49% mine, but the, uh, just by dint of who was there at the time and who was doing the work, we, we divided up the shares. And during the 90s, I grew that up to be the market leader in Poland. I can talk about the business model later if, if people, yes, we can people, come on to, that, yeah, come on to yeah. that. But I, for, for various reasons, in, in including not enticing eye to eye with the co-founders of that business, I was keen to do other things. So I invested in a number of other enterprises with the profits I was making in the barcode systems business. We didn't have external funding, so it's purely bootstrapped. And this was early 2000s? No, no, this was, this was during the 1990s. It's still 1990s, no, this so you were was, making a lot of profit even then. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seemed a lot back then, but I think we were, in today's terms, it might have been a couple of million dollars revenue with about 40%, so something like six or seven hundred thousand dollars, which was extremely high profitability due to the fact that there was very little mm. competition. And you know, again, with hindsight, I would have done many, many, many things differently, but still making money is one of the one of the there's a big market, and there still is a big market for in that area, but but there are lots of things about the business model which. Um, the way we made money that have evolved and changed. But I, I, I reinvested in a number of other businesses, many of which didn't work out, but some of which are now significantly better businesses. Your translation business. For, for, example, the, for yeah. example, um, uh, and I spun off uh, with very ambitious and hard-working entrepreneurial salesman from SKK. We spun off another business, which also is doing better than the barcode systems company. But that was my route. And then, you know, having invested around 1999, 2000, 2001 in a number of businesses, which are doing quite well. But I, mean, yeah, I was also raising a family. I got divorced, so I was pretty busy at home. Were well, you angel investing then, do you think, or co-founding? It was, that's a good, that's a very good question. I wasn't aware of the, the phrase angel investor back then. I wasn't aware of competitive intelligence. It turned out I'd been doing that for, for 20 years as well. Was I angel investing? I suppose so. I mean, in, in many cases, I had the concept that I wasn't going to run the business. So I was looking for entrepreneurs and I had a challenge back then, which I still have, that very often I've got an idea, which I think is a good business idea. I've got not necessarily purely me, but through my network, people like you, Peter, and others, I've got access to capital, and I'm looking for that person to run with the business idea. Well, that's co-founding, really, isn't it? Age investing is where you syndicate, generally, isn't it? Yes, but the, the, let's say it's, it may not be co No, because the point is it's not co-founding, because I don't want to work in the operating company. What I didn't say in my rather elongated introduction is that I now I'm shareholder in... I suppose, 12 or 13 companies and seven or eight of them would count as sort of classic angel investor. So you have less than 5%. Less than, less than, less yeah. than 5%. Yeah. But, but then another six or seven, I'm, a significant, I'm the largest single non-founder shareholder. So yeah. I'm somewhere between co-founder and 
and and and, um, and the ones where you've got the larger shareholding are there also other investors in those no the, none no. of them have had what you would call professional investors, yes. people who do investing. So, so slightly alarmingly, perhaps I'm the most professional. <laughs> I'm regarded as a professional investor, and in fact, you, you, and people like, like the Cambridge Angels and or Martlets, they, they know more about this. I've learned a lot from doing it together with you. And I think what happened was that the the startup community started to evolve and grow. Uh, one thing I left out, I, I was active in promotion of entrepreneurship for a long time. I helped take uh, junior achievement or young enterprise, sort of getting school kids interested in business to Poland. In the so early, when was that then? In well, the, that was one of the first projects I did in, in Poland. About, uh, five, oh, four, no, 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 1991. Wow. It was one of the first things yeah. I did, funded by the British Know-How know Fund for Poland and Hungary, or FAR, I think it was called. Um, paid me to translate some, not I wasn't translating, but to try to organise some pilot projects in Polish schools, and I did that, and then, as is often the case, when you've got a startup, you have to, you whether it's a Silicon Valley style startup or just, you know, your own business, you're so busy with that, you have to rather give up the community community things and then you know, with the family as well so I, I hadn't I had that sort of historic link with schools and if if people invited me to go into schools to give talks I'd still do that because I think in this country it's not as big as of a lack of as a, as a, of a gap as it is in Poland but generally speaking I think school children can benefit enormously from meeting real business people even if they're not superstars even if they're not particularly pleasant mm. there, there aren't Business people that are out in schools recruiting the same way that the civil service are. So, but then the startup community started developing, and I was very glad to see that some uh, people were out there promoting entrepreneurship to students, even if the lens through which it was done was, let's be like Silicon Valley, it was a lot better than anything that had been going on before. And are still talking about early 2000s now? This is, no, that, that, that would be, well there was a thing called First Tuesday, and there's a, a lady in London, uh, uh, Mayer, um, Ariadne Capital, yes, uh, Julie, um, Mayer. Julie Mayer, Julie Mayer. I, I, First Tuesday emerged during the first dot-com boom and that I, I don't know whether it's worth going to the details of that but I was city leader for first Tuesday in Krakow, in Krakow. and I typically for me got in just before the bubble burst and <laughs> there was an Israeli VC fund called Yazam which put some money in and there was a brief period where they were paying expenses for all these people with very unclear shared objectives unclear divergent shared objectives getting Oh, which was a rather clumsy way of saying people who don't see, didn't see eye to eye getting together, where in the first Tuesday concept you were either an investor, an entrepreneur or a service provider and the idea was that you could all um, network and start companies milling around. Investors, so there were some investors. Oh, they, 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 yeah, yeah, yes. Even in Poland. And the, the, well, in Poland there were very few investors, but the, the, the whole thing was a bit... I wouldn't say misconceived. I wanted there to be a community of people like that, and you know, we did several, we did several events. But and this is remember, this is only thirteen, fourteen years after the wall came down, and 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 the communist regime started to Commun away. Communism ended in nineteen eighty nine in yeah. Poland, and. Uh, uh, the finance minister Leszek Balcerowicz did what was called shock therapy, so liberalised prices, liberalised exchange rate, and there was like a big jump to a free market system, but there were an awful lot of legacies of communism, both in terms of somewhat dodgy privatisation, which remains to this day a, 
uh, hot button in Polish politics to the extent that even you know in the last month or two the conservative nationalist anti anti communist government has removed some pension rights from former secret policemen because and generals because Poland had a very soft transition from in terms of there were no trials it wasn't like East Germany where all the former communists got right. sacked uh, um, so yes it was uh, 10, 15 years after the end of communism. But Poland had already, by that stage, got a reasonably healthy functioning. And the Polish right. have always been known as super hard workers and pretty enterprising anyway, haven't they? So compared yeah. with other countries around the Eastern Bloc. Poland had an advantage. Uh, well, I, at Cambridge, one of the reasons I got the job in the consulting company of consulting about Central and Eastern Europe was that I'd written my dissertation at Cambridge on why black markets were prevalent in communist economies, which meant that during the mid-1980s, or mid to late 1980s, I, I visited various what were then still communist countries to see how things worked in reality. And the black market is a very good way of seeing the way things really work. And I, as a result of that and other experiences, I came to the conclusion that this idea that Westerners could go and teach people from the communist world about how to be entrepreneurs was rather misconceived that in many ways the communist system forced people to be much more entrepreneurial. Particularly the, the, the uh, government wasn't aware of the cash flow. Well, 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 it wasn't so much that as just that, you know, in a society where everything works, I'd say in a country like the UK, if you're a mid-ranking civil servant or a, 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 school, a school teacher, you can possibly go through life without even thinking about the way the economics of a cafe works. You don't need to understand costs and revenue. Whereas if you're in a communist system where nothing really works, you can't get the things you want from the people who are meant to supply them to you, and then, then you have to start thinking about what have I got that other people want, and what have they got that uh, oh no, what what the, what have they got that I want? So you know, your ha hairdressers tend to be quite prosperous because they were information brokers. That someone say my lawnmower's bust, and they might say, well, I know someone who could <laughs> who could who could get spare parts or whatever it was. So um, would you always say that more in, more enterprising? Much more enterprising, I imagine, but also more enterprising than the UK, out of need and necessity. Yes, I'd say I'd say that you know if you look at you know people who get locked up in prison camps become very very good at surviving on very very little, and I think I think one of the reasons I'm quite optimistic about the prospects of developing countries is that uh, compared to advanced countries like you know this one or, or or even more prosperous countries in Britain is that people are used to finding the bootstrapping, the low-cost way of doing it. The, the Indian telecoms companies, are, there's a new, huge new development in India right now with an ultra-low-cost offering coming in. But even before then, you know, India, Indian telecom mobile phone operators had a much, much lower cost per per user than is common in Europe. And they know how, um, or medical devices, there are wonderful examples of very successful medical device innovations happening in developing countries. Because yeah, you, right. you, know, you have to figure out how to do it for $10 rather than yeah, a thousand. So yes, I'd, I'd, I'd say that not ex exclusively in Poland, but generally the developing world te teaches a sort of a, a scarcity mentality, which is a very healthy thing to have in a business. And um, by contrast, in the startup community here in London or in other cities, if you put a couple of hundred thousand pounds in the pockets of a, a young man or woman or a team who haven't ever had that sort of money to spend, it's quite likely they'll overspend on things like office furniture and uh, and things which actually make very very little difference. I, I think entrepreneurs are actually learning not to do that more nowadays. But yeah, I'm, I'm just saying as a generalization. Yeah, yeah. As a generalization. So let's talk about some of the. 
things you've learned not to do and to do in terms of angel investing since you started, which is you know some several years before me. Well, I'd, I'd say that, 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 and what I'm going to say now isn't particularly shocking, but businesses are populated by people, and um, the people you go into business with have to be the sort of people who you would be ready to spend time with if you weren't in business with them. Um, that a company shouldn't hire people who don't fit the company culture. Um, I, that doesn't mean everyone has to be identical clones and everyone likes football or everyone, you know, that they're not. Well, they could all be coded. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm in favour of diversity, but diversity has to be around a set of common values. And you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go for a. I wouldn't go for a beer with a swastika wearing. Nigel Farage supporting um, Brexiter because I, I don't regard that as the sort of, sort of person. That's quite time. extreme, actually. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. But the, I mean, the, the, the people, people have got their different red lines. But mm. you think, and, and particularly business tests people's ethics a lot. But you, and you, it's quite a hard question to ask someone straight up: Is would you pay a bribe, or you know, mm. what do you think about sexual harassment in the workplace? But you need to be having those questions in the background. Are these people with whom you're not going to be ashamed to be in business with later? Is a very, very important question and, uh, or ashamed or even the difference between shame and guilt is shame is when other people know guilt is when you feel bad about being in business with them even if no one knows how bad they yeah, are have you had you had an example where this has happened where yeah I, 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 I couldn't possibly talk about not the uh, specifics but no no no, no, no I mean, I've been very yeah, I mean I can this one example uh, I wasn't I didn't go into business with him um, but uh, he opened a briefcase and then there were $30,000 in cash and a gun. <laughs> now, I, 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 and I really did wonder what, what happened in my life that I got myself into, a, into an office where that could possibly... It wasn't a dodgy pub, it was in my office. And, you know, this was someone who I, I thought, uh, who wanted to lend us money. <laughs> and I, I think he thought that this would be a good way of making it clear that, you know, this would be a, a lo- banking services work back then we couldn't get bank credit so this, yeah. as it were there's a former secret policeman who as far as I can see was loan sharking <laughs> but you know the fact that I didn't realise that this was going to be part of his so that's number one then so, so yeah so people people, people yeah. but but then then um, I would say um, uh, what else have I learned make make sure you understand the business model the way you're going to get, make money and even if the first step is not Going to be making money because you've got to invest, build a product, or you have to build a build pers- community, or build, build, you need to build a community. Yeah. You have to have a, a clear idea of the business model and verify that it's realistic. Because people quite often, quite often, people say, "Well, we will use advertising. You know, we, we will have a website, we'll get lots of traffic, and we'll live off advertising." And if, if anyone, if they don't verify that with someone who knows about, but the you know, there's been some very successful startups in the on the west coast of the states that haven't done that. There are I'm always sure Facebook didn't know on day five or even four hundred, you know how it's going to monetize. Um, that's true, and you know I I, I know I, I'm I'm a, I know you you find him his style grating, but I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. We could probably put a link into him in the show notes. A particular talk yeah. to he's an American dream immigrant success story and comp- fanatically hard worker, but but the. Um, 
and he will points out, and the reason I'm mentioning this, is that if you, you see explosive growth and traction, um, there are ways of monetizing that that we may not know about now. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and in the case of, you know, if you have a website and, the, and you're taking on a thousand, uh, I think at some stage Instagram was taking on a thousand subscribers an hour, and you don't, uh, uh, or, and that was, uh, and it got up to the stage where, where it was sold for, what seemed an ridiculous, I think it was $3 billion to, 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 yeah. to uh, Facebook. Without monetization, yeah. Exactly. But, but, the, so, but what's the point? The, the point is that you need to understand, you, you can't assume you're going to be an Instagram or a Snapchat. You know, that's like assuming you're going to win the jackpot or you're going to, you know, you're going to buy a horse and it's going to be a, a derby winning horse. That's, it's unrealistic. To make to build around. You said you would only invest if you could understand the business model later. So. I, I, I'm not talking about necessarily whether I would invest, although that's an additional f filter. I'd say I want to understand how it's possible that this could be how a business model where the business is about unit economics about it's going to cost them one to do this and they'll be able to invoice people for five or ten or, or as mm. in google adwords it basically cost them almost nothing to present yes. and present the advert and they're charging a couple of dollars so it's 200 or 400 times their marginal cost yeah and, and then you say oh well if they can get there i can see how they're going to be able to generate bucket loads of money and the, it's very important for people to realise, and they often don't, that the money that comes from investors isn't important, the bank credits aren't important, the only money that really matters in the long run is the money that comes in from clients. And so, you know, so, and there's very many different ways of looking at that question. Another is, what is this business going to do that people will willingly pay for? You know, mm -hmm. the, you know there's another concept of the pain, so you're asking the lesson, I'm, I'm moving on to more general, questions Don't about mind, yeah. how you review a business idea that I very much like the concept of the painkiller that you know what is it that people won't typically buy from a new company that they haven't heard of before as something that's not particularly compelling you know why would you switch from your status quo and quite often the status quo is nothing mm. you mean okay it's nice well, there's a, paper or or, or it is, it's nice there's an app to help me book a restaurant but when I go on holiday quite frankly I like walking the streets and I'll just stroll in the number of people who like if you're in a city where it's hard to get a restaurant where you're you know for months and months and months Barcelona has been so full of people that it turns out you can't get a restaurant anytime you want that becomes a pain point so if someone who can solve that problem has a has a has a fighting chance of making a business, but I I I th so the, the what is the what is the the pain point that the the business is solving? And even a cafe said, so, well, that's not too a pain. Well, actually, you know, you want someone to sit down and on a, on a, on a, on a, on a summer's day or a winter's day, and someone and you know the pain the painkiller of a Starbucks isn't necessarily a, a, a raging desire for coffee. It's somewhere. You can find a seat at Liverpool Street yeah, Station. And this will be location, right? Yeah, 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 location. Main, yeah. So you understand what problem it's solving. Yeah. Um, and that that's um, in terms of other lessons. Um, and if you can't answer that question, and you know, and many of my businesses don't meet this checklist. That I think being too complex. If you can't explain in a simple way what the business does, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a challenge, and I, I always try to simplify things. So, aha, so in one sentence, why, why exactly does this business exist? Um, one area where I'm, the jury is out in my mind is the issue of mission and purpose that I find quite convincing that this, this 
TED Talks where they say the why question is the most compelling question. Why does the founder want to found this business? What is his mission? What is, or her mission? What is the purpose? You have to understand, you know, are they engaged enough with their idea to mean they're going to put in the hours and the weeks? Because it's extremely hard work to build a business and anyone who thinks it isn't is, is delusional. They're not aware of that. Do they, why do they care about their business idea? On the one hand, you know, I do meet sort of messianic people who are very, very driven by their desire to help solve pollution, but sometimes they care too much about the problem and not enough about the business. Mm. On the other hand, you sometimes find people who are pretty financially focused and it's pretty clear that they want to make bucket loads of money. And I don't, I'm not expecting to get the whole bucket, but if I can get a couple of percentage points as someone who's making bucket loads of money, and, and I, we've got an, a, a match on character and ethics, and I find that quite attractive because, as an investor, because... I feel they're going to be representing the financial interest well, and if they're too driven by the mission, they might be, you know, they might be jumping on yachts and, you know, going to going to corporate events, not corporate events, but going to being more interested in either the limelight or, you know, I don't, I don't know, than doing the than doing the really hard work of building yeah. the business. Um, so, but people, I think, and management processes are under under. Um, not under-prioritised, but I don't. I think very often the when I talk about the people, it's not just character match, but do they are the founders of the business open to feedback and do they want to learn? Um, you don't want someone who's too inexperienced, but if the, sometimes when people are quite experienced, they've got this, they've got a very dangerous. I don't need any help type mentality, and you know I've increasingly over through my life realised that the really smart people are people who are more than willing to sit down, read an article, go to sign up on a training course, learn learn something, not reckon just because they know everything about search engine optimization now doesn't mean they'll know in six months time if they don't mm. keep up. So, but are they open to feedback? Are they open to advice? And the, the, there's uh, so that that's extremely. Extremely important, um, not and also, do they represent me in the sense that if I'm not in the room, how are they going to behave? And you, you're sort of, and you know, no one's going to tell you they're disrespectful to their subordinates. But there's a great Australian musician comedian called Tim Minchin who, you know, he's produced plays that um, run on Broadway and in London. He did the Matilda, Matilda play in London, the Roald Dahl book, wonderful guy. He said that he was giving advice to graduating students from a, from a, the University of Western Australia when he was getting his honorary degree, and he said that he has taken important decisions on his assessment of how the person he's talking to treats the least powerful person in the room. So, for example, the way someone treats the receptionist, the waiter, or the, 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 the waiter, yeah. the waiter yeah. or the yeah. or the receptionist. He said, if they're, you know, are they? You know, whatever people say. So that would be another way of putting that. Look at what people do, not yeah. just what they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, so that that's opening doors for people. There's a whole well, stack of little signs aren't there? Well, about their character. Or you have to. Sometimes you have to be. Well, not sometimes. You always have to keep your pragmatism in mind that if someone's a genius, and I'm, I really dislike if people take phone phone calls or start texting during meetings. And I'd rather not do that now then, no, 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 put your phone away, Peter. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I find that, uh, but you know, I come from a, you know, my, 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 my sister 
Um, there's often, you know, made the comment if I was visiting with my kids, no screens at table, you know, we try to have that and that's the kind of family value is, is disrespectful. But there are a lot of people who don't grow up in that culture and, mm. you know, to judge them by your culture when you, so being good at seeing things, being good at seeing things from the other person's perspective, which is part of what Daniel Goleman calls emotional intelligence, the ability to not be own, that, I, I think that's incredibly important for any entrepreneur in the sense that an entrepreneur has to be interested in what, what, what the value of what they're doing from the client's perspective is, is obvious, but an inability to put yourself in the other person's shoes is extremely, uh, extremely dangerous. Yeah, let's just talk about the lessons you've learned and how they reflect in some of the failures you've had, because you can't possibly tell me that all the entrepreneurial journeys you've been on where you've been an investor, not your own, have been successful. What, what has led to those failures, do you think? Um, well, there's, there's, it's a long list. I'm, I'm absolutely not someone who goes around uh, wanting to give the impression that I don't get things wrong. Um, okay, so some, sometimes it's the the sector has seemed right, and the, but the business hasn't. Though there was a mobile phone infrastructure company which uh, was putting masks on top of buildings, and I thought their edge was they knew how to get planning. So there's a complicated bureaucratic process, and I thought well this is going to be attractive because it's quite hard to do this. It wasn't hard. It's quite hard, but it's not. It's, it's quite hard in the sense that it probably still is. You need to have permission for people to go up buildings. That's kind of putting things on roofs of planning permission. There's the different certifications. You've got to actually make it work, which is presumably quite tricky. understand how to configure it all. Um, um, but then, and the sector was meant to be red hot in the sense that it was around 2000, 2001 when there was the looming upgrade to 4G or UMTS, I think. Yeah, it's not 4G at that point. No, it was 3G. 3G There there was an idea there was a need for an upgrade of the networks. And I just didn't look at the economic. And so that was enough. And rather than thinking about the sector, you need to look at the... Could you have foreseen it, though? Could you? Yes, if I'd... If is I'd, your crystal ball better than the entrepreneurs, I suppose? Yes, and the company was struggling when I got involved. It was that someone came to me to help bail them out. And I remember I learned a very... And sometimes the things that I learned are so obvious, I find it stunning that I didn't realise it till later. Meaning, for example, that when this, this business was losing money and I was, I was asymmetrically lending money, I was the only shareholder with money, so I was lending money to the business to keep it, keep it afloat. So rather than buying shares, you were lending? You well, were I'd bought shares to start with, but, yeah. then, but, but the, um, well, I, there was someone from who was in the sector, a, a British businessman based in Warsaw, who was doing much larger scale projects. He had good relationships with the telecom operators. And I went to him and said, well, you might be interested in investing. And he looked at him and, and he just said, why would I be interested in investing in a business that's losing money? And, <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I couldn't give him an answer to that question. But, you know, this, is not, uh, this is sort of a question your grandmother or, or, or nephew might ask. And, you know, do think about it. If it's losing money year after year after year, then, or month after month after month, you know, what, why is this? And if there's, you know, basically the, the problem was the margins were very low because... There were a few big manufacturers like Nortel Networks, Nokia, and, and, and Netia, Nokia, and uh, uh, and Ericsson were manufacturing these. But it must be true of most angel-backed businesses; they lose money for months and months and months, maybe even a low number of years. If you take a life sciences business, it might be a decade before they break it. That that's a different. You know, this is a, this, this is was an established yeah, business. Wasn't yeah, it? I know, and I I recently heard of the three T's for reasons people invest or acquire startups, which is, was team 
traction and technology. Um, a lot of the businesses I was involved in were using other people's technologies. We didn't have our own technology. And this is a, the, the, I, I often say the four P's are important in business, which is product, um, process, people, and... Profit, maybe. Uh, no, uh, probably uh, not. Uh, product, people, process, um, and there is a fourth P, which isn't promotion. Um, it's not so embarrassing, I can't even remember my own acronym. No, this is going to get deleted uh, from the uh, podcast. No, no it's, it's okay, you can leave it in, it'll come back to me. The, but the, 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 point, the point is that we didn't have our own technology, and, so, and that means you're potentially going to be squeezed by your vendors, that if you don't own your own product, you're dependent on things that are out of your control. And um, the, four t- the three Ts were treasure team and technology, sorry, were technology team and traction. I felt that that left eye treasure or making money, that if a business is making mm-hmm. money, then to some extent, no matter what anyone else thinks, you can always say, up, up yours, and just carry on making money. There's, you're, you're, under, you're relieved from all kinds of constraints. Okay. Can we come to another failure? Think of another failure? Yes, certainly. Um, I invested in a uh, direct marketing business, and the insight there, the, the, the insight there was that we were using, in the mid-90s, telephone sales in a way that uh, seemed to be much better than, so our marketing processes seemed to be better than other people's and to some extent I've still got that sense of that I've nearly invested in a marketing automation business and I still might, although I'm not, there are various reasons why I might not do that now um, and because we're using marketing automation by which I mean using technology to generate sales leads automatically without human work then you know, this could be everything from YouTube videos to white papers to webinars to slideshares to you know, there's a number of it's much more than just Google AdWords and Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and we were using telemarketing back in the 1990s I thought this is way better than what what is normal practice in Poland therefore it's a good idea to invest in this because other companies would love to pay uh, money for what we're buying ourselves and it just didn't work and the reason was that and I often say to people I've written a blog post which I can put a link in in the show notes about you know, it doesn't really matter what you think about your business idea it doesn't matter what the investors please don't show me your product just show me evidence that the potential users or clients are interested if I'd only said to myself let's see whether other people want to buy this before I started putting money in um, then I would have... Yeah, we went walking up the Canigo in the Pyrenees together with Robert Brady, if you remember him. Yes, yes. Exactly that. He won't invest in the business unless there's been a level of product market fit. I, somebody somewhere paid over some cash for something. Well, I, I, would, I, I, didn't, I think that quite often that's, you know, for, for example, in life sciences, that's impossible because the, 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 you can't, you can't try, de- 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 demonstrate the efficacy of a, of a treatment before it's approved. And, um, but I would say that you know, if and there's a famous case of the the, the, the guy who invented the bank machine went to the tech, I think it was the operations director of Barclays Bank and explained what a cash machine would look like, and the guy said in slightly, um, am I allowed to swear on this part? part no, you're not. You're I, saying I, bleep, 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 bleep. Uh, so, so, I, if you can build this machine, I'll buy as many of these bleeping things as you can make. And, and uh, the story goes, I, I only heard it from one source. The the the, the entrepreneur said, well, if, if you could put that in writing on Barclays notepaper, that might really help me raise the funds to do it. And, you know, simply getting in, the fact that he was in front of a potential customer is a huge plus. Uh, you know, I, I turned down a proposal yesterday where I asked for evidence, and the guy said, I'm convinced that it's 
was a great idea. And I didn't, I'd already given him some feedback, which I don't always do, but I nearly wrote to him and said, I told you, it's not about whether you think it's a great idea. And if you say, are, if you say it's going to be easy to find hundreds of thousands of people, then surely it's very, very easy to find 10. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I really want their names and phone numbers. And that process of going out to people and saying, saying simple due diligence yeah, simple due, and you can do that before the product exists yes okay so from all your experience what 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 advice would you give to angels i mean we talked about things you've learned say you, you know you were starting out roll back 20 years well i i was saying saying just before um just a few minutes ago before we started the podcast there's a book i read extremely recently called uh how to turn a hundred thousand dollars into a hundred million by a famous celebrated American angel investor called Jason Colin Colin Carnes. We'll put a link in the show notes, and he suggests, um, and I think it's good advice, is to get involved in syndicated investment to start with, which could be something that we're, we're both involved in, like Syndicate Room, or there are a number of other platforms, Cedars or, or whatever, mm. it could be Crowdcube, where you get the process of investing in. You, you don't need as much money to do that because you can really put it up into quite small small chunks. But he gives a lot of detailed advice there. Of, he's, he makes the point, which hadn't occurred to me, that if you're once you're the entrepreneur leading a funded company, you don't really remember which of the angels put in more or less money. You remember how helpful they are. So you should then aim to be the best angel of the lot in terms of how helpful you are, giving access to your network, uh, giving you helping with recruitment, whatever the problems are. Because what you know, whether it's ten thousand or fifty thousand, the people who help the entrepreneur will build up a reputation of being a good angel. The other thing that he he says is to try to develop your network among the angels. So you have to see who the other inv investors are. Um, know what you can invest, get the word out that you are interested in co-investing and just be friendly and helpful. Obviously there's a quid pro quo that you'll share the deals because I think it's a point you made about the, the platforms, that the really good deals don't necessarily get onto the platforms mm. because if something's really good, you'll share it with your close network, not put it up on... And funding No, 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 put it out on the network. So, so I'd, I'd say that um, don't invest too much capital in a few things to start with and I, I, I certainly would imagine that I'd get advice from multiple sources you know if someone listening to this could be in any city and well not just in the UK any city in the world there may be a local chamber of commerce or club in your city um, say you're thinking of joining when you're thinking of joining things usually there's a membership fee and you know then they'll explain well either you have to know someone or well, like the Cambridge Angels you have to have an introduction or whatever the rules are business people who are successful tend to be quite open to meeting new people I wouldn't have met you if you hadn't been open to meeting me because I called <laughs> in you the park in Cambridge. Yeah, 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 I was after an event but you know yeah. the, the, the generally successful business people are surprisingly accessible because they they make themselves accessible so you know just start getting the word out that this is something you want to do and be very very willing as all entrepreneurs should be to get uh, critical feedback uh, and if people say you're completely crazy because rather than getting offended say thank you so much if they're trying to be mean that will annoy them which is quite satisfying because you can't do this because and you say, oh, that's so well thanks so much for the feedback why not and they say well you don't know anyone and I say well I know you, <laughs> you know, but you get used to that sort of so one thing I'd say is get to know the other investors but if you want to get ahead of the pack you have to get out where the entrepreneurs are because and that's 
and they won't necessarily come to you. It's a bit like dating that if you just sit there hoping that you're, you're stunningly good, and in Peter's case this is going to be very easy, but your rugged good looks are going to produce a cure potential um, partners. Investors, mate. No, but you don't just sit there. You have to think about how you can source better, better deals. And, uh, and my approach to that is to be helpful. Um, so whether you're writing blog posts or putting out a podcast or giving talks in schools or going to, going to open coffee type events or networking events and just when you meet people who are entrepreneurs, listen and see whether you can help them. Then you're building up your, I think it's called social capital these days, but you're building your network because you can get the word out. You know, if you have, a, and you know, I've said this, I've said this really quite often, if you have an idea one day, I, I, was, I was targeted by a Ukrainian uh, business development person trying to sell software services. You know, there's a very typical thing with someone my profile, they get, uh, LinkedIn invitations all the time from people in developing countries saying if you've got any IT outsourcing needs come to you know we'd be happy to talk and I, I just wrote back saying I've got no needs but if you uh, but I do invest in, in in businesses I'm very interested I think the Ukraine's a very attractive place to invest for a number of reasons um, I'd say if you come up with, if you have a business idea please get in touch with me that takes me that I could have just said no but just that extra sentence for all I know he or she, or she could might have a network of people so I've met this strange you know and I don't I, so you have to get the word out that you're looking mm. be helpful be respectful get them get across the impression that you're useful because that could be your edge you know you might and you might you, I, it's Matt Clifford of Entrepreneur First has a very very strong bias towards people with an edge you know if you're an ex-water engineer I was just reading in the Financial Times about the catastrophic state of the British water it's a water pipe they're bursting they're being renovated at a much slower pace than they're wearing out mm. so there's an obvious long term uh, problem and every problem is an opportunity and I actually screenshotted the thing on my phone on my way here thinking if I can meet a water engineer who wants to start a business that is an opportunity because clearly someone somewhere is going to have to figure out better ways of fixing mm -hmm. them whether it's sort of automated guided vehicles that go through under, underground putting a line of plastic inside you know for example I, I expect they exist already but you know someone who knew how to do that could mm -hmm. be could be a great person to go into business with mm -hmm. so you get the word out I'm looking for people and what was that? Was it Nat Billington, a sadly deceased mm. mutual mutual uh, friend or acquaintance, who did a survey of the energy sector, and he he got some professor from Oxford to review the key energy technologies and was looking for opportunities. So I think develop an approach, develop a way, and the sort of pray and spray type approach that I I wouldn't say I've got, but I I, I put the word out in all sorts of environments, and kind of works for me. But well, there's a level of portfolio you have to have, haven't there? Whatever, however good they are at the beginning, they aren't necessarily going to succeed, are they? No, no. One so, has to build a portfolio. I know. I think, I, but I, I'm, I, you have to start, and I think making a, you know, if you can tag along with some other people, because you know, also it depends on the level. But quite often, I invest extremely early, before, almost before the professional seed investors get involved. So you meet somebody who's got an idea. And We're going to talk about Vantage Bar in a moment. Yeah, but that yeah. would almost be an example. Yes. There and you're, you're, you're the conversation there is someone has an idea that you think is impressive you you are saying how much money do you need to get to the stage where you can verify that this is serious and it might be someone says well I've got this great idea to import Chinese solar panels 
to Britain because I've heard that the price has crashed, and which is actually true. Right? Yeah, yeah uh, and uh, you know, my dad's a building contractor, um, or my uncle, or whatever, is a building contractor, and he's agreed that he'll let me go around all his existing clients and install solar panels if they're interested and he just wants to he just wants to have a share of the business if it works but I need to now I need to go to Taiwan and or wherever uh, and actually you know I need I need to find someone who's ready to supply me um, that you know someone might need five or ten thousand pounds to get to the stage where they're ready to go and I, you know I might say, well, don't, you don't make a typical angel doing that actually that's very interesting you, you're more enterprising than I am you like it, you're wanting to find a problem, finding a co-founder and then funding them, aren't they? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I like I, to invest in businesses with syndicates. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 yeah and I, I'd say that you know, quite often I'm at the stage of trying to get the person to the stage where they can talk to the angels. And then build a bigger round. Uh, yeah, I, okay. but, you know, but also I'm not just doing one thing. That you know, it's Some of the best opportunities I've got is probably putting more money into existing things mm. rather than... Well, existing companies I've already invested in. So, I my I'd say my story and my position isn't, you know, I'm I, although I have been an angel investor in the classic sense, that's not, you know, I haven't really given up my entrepreneurial thing. And in a sense, I'd say what's the best way I can add value to this five thousand pounds, and if I can get someone who. You know, and obviously, I'm not going to say that to everyone. If I think that is a highly driven young man or woman who clearly is is got the potential. Cambridge to, Mask, an example. Yeah, who's got the potential yeah. to to do something um, is almost by doing that. I'm getting a share in them. You know, because mm. it is yeah, about it's people. Exactly yeah, right. I, and you know, you should feel well, uh, and so that would be. And you, but again. The story I gave with the solar panels. If it was just I can make money with solar panels, I probably wouldn't listen. But he said, "Oh my, you know, his edge is he's got he's got a, a base of customers with a very good chance of getting in there. You know, that is starts to be interesting. And obviously, what I would then do, of course, is say, well, my value, I'd just say, well, for goodness sake, don't sell them. Just do hardware as a service. So we're going to charge people by the month. Mm. We, we just say well, you don't have to pay five thousand pounds. You just have you to pay, you know, fifty. Probably more than fifty quid, say hundred quid a month. So that's one thousand two hundred pounds a year, six year contract. And it turns out people pay double. Mm. The, the, uh, you can sense, and everything's. I love. No I love. Cost, I, yeah. I love hard, software as a service is a wonderful business model for the software companies. And hardware as a service, so you get these extraordinary conversations. You say, every, you know, we'll give you free training, uh, free service, free guarantee, free maintenance, provided you pay two thousand pounds a month. <laughs> so let's, let's just talk briefly about Vantage Park because you, I think, you introduced them. To me, yes, I did. And then you'd, you'd found Alex Shea has been on one of our other podcasts, mm -hmm. great interviewee, mm -hmm. uh, lots of great stuff there. Some so I think you found them on was it the BBC? Was it that's when you first contacted them? That's that, 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 that's right. Um, and what happened was I was uh, skiing in Slovakia, which is the south of Poland, with my, with my kids, and I broke my wrist and was um, sitting in the hotel. Um, and listening to um, Peter Day's World of Business and Alex Shea was one of the people being interviewed by Peter Day and I thought that and I, he, they, I, I thought that sounds like a really really interesting idea and was thinking how could I how could I engineer an introduction with him and, the, and I, so I googled around a bit and then I, I'd, I'd invested money which I'd lost in a, and have now lost in a um, a game 
it's like football manager for motorsports. It was called Racing Life, and the idea was that you could manage your own racing team. And these very talented developers in Cracker pulled a pretty good product, but they never got. It was too, the game yeah, was fantasy too. Fantasy football, sort of. It's exactly yeah. it's fantasy football. It's fantasy, fantasy racing, racing manager, uh, and actually it was acquired, um, although for less money than I put in. So it was quite a, another aside here. When people tell you they've done, they've done an exit. That doesn't necessarily mean a successful exit. No. You, they, there's an awful lot of, and I think you're a big fan of transparency in the in the angel investing world, which would, would be very welcome. That I know people I'm better, who often go around behaving as if they've made a fortune. And I wonder whether they really yeah, have. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, the racing life was an online online motorsports management thing. And I another trick to find someone's phone number is if you put their name in plus press release. Quite often, their mobile phone will be in the press no, release, really, even okay. if it's not on the website. So you found Alex's uh, number that uh, way. Did uh, yeah. I, I found a PDF which I had his phone number on, so I called him up and said, so "Can I speak to Alex?" And he said, "Speak." And I said, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm involved in a motorsports management game, and I was wondering whether you might be whether when I, we were fans of electric vehicles, and I was wondering whether you know we could uh, potentially have a." You know, some kind of partnership where we'd have an electric car in our portfolio, and then we're a startup. We don't have much money, so there wouldn't be any money. But at least, you know, you might get some additional publicity. And I, like I said, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll just have to have a word with my colleagues and put me on hold for ten seconds and say, so, "Yeah, we would be really interested." <laughs> uh, and in fact, he was in his bedroom, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which again is a sign of him being smart. You know, yes. you know, you know you do. Uh, and um, and I was my, my brother. Edward Lucas at The Economist was having a book launch in London a couple of weeks after that, so I arranged to see Alex, and we took him for a quite expensive lunch on St James's, and he produced all this very sort of impressive, well-organised looking business plan, which still needed a lot of work on it, but um, I was, and I just agreed to put, put money in, um, and part of it was, I say part, I'd say 80-90% of it was a feeling that, that if that, that he had proved his motivation and technical competence by building an electric racing car that had gone down the Pan-American Pan Highway. Racing green. Is racing green endurance. You can and find it. Well, yeah, well, it certainly is a very impressive um, story. And I thought, well, if he can do that, then he can do this, which probably I would do a bit more due diligence now, but at that stage I... Um, yeah, you were family and friends almost at that point because it was before the first round that I then led. Yes, yeah, yeah. Billington, so. yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. So, so, so that was how I started, and you know, in a sense, you know, but that's what I mean. That's I say this is, but I would say that for angels in general, if you want to source deals, if you're sourcing deals, you can probably get a, you should get a better deal for being the one who sourced it yeah. in principle, which you did. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Shares at a cheaper price. Exactly, yeah. and. You know, so you're more likely to lose everything because if it turns out you're the only one, you know, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, then the you're cash will run out. The yeah. cash will run out very soon. But the, but I would say that you know, in principle, if you're out there, sort of being a talent spotter, um, you know, then then you potentially can uh, get yourself in a better position, mm. and you're you're adding value as well because if you're good at identifying, there's clear there's a clear economic value to doing yeah. that. It's been absolutely wonderful. This is the first time I've interviewed you, both times before you interviewed me. Mm -hmm. we are, we've learnt a lot from it, and thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be on the show.